Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, This week, I'm really, really pumped. Uh, I'm sitting down. I'm chatting with Jeff Peltier. Uh, Jeff has this really amazing set of films on YouTube. Uh, They're all about various ultra running events that he's participated in. Um, But if you're an ultra running fan, you need to go there and check it out. Uh, He has films from the unbelievable race tour de jean um which you kind of just have to see to believe like i've heard stories and tales you don't i I guess out of tour de jean you don't really say stories you call them tales uh so i've heard tales from this race and have developed a picture of what the course looks like in my mind um but after watching jeff's film it's even more beautiful and you're like whoa like that's crazy because what would it like if you were there in person it would be more beautiful like tenfold you know what i mean like it would just be unbelievable um and recently jeff has been posting a series called racing namibia um this is a stage race uh that's put on by racing the planet um who do some of the most phenomenal stage races all over the world uh if you know any, uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know stage races like capture my imagination. They're some of the races that I'm most fascinated by. The ones that really inspire me the most are the ones that have touched my soul the most. Um, so I was just really excited to bring Jeff on. Wanted to hear about his experience doing the race. Uh, he's a incredible ultra runner so he has such wonderful you know bits of wisdom and advice and all of that uh that he's learned along the way um so i wanted to kind of like pick his brain about that uh but i also kind of was fascinated by how he went about filming this um it's a it's going to be a nine episode series it's all on youtube you can check out his channel um just by typing in his name and i'll link it here um but I, ju- I wanted to hear how he like combined these two loves of being a filmmaker. He was a filmmaker before he started this ultra running journey um, back in 2013. And uh, I kind of wanted to hear how he combined that with this like growing passion for being out on the trails, being in the mountains, being in the desert, exploring the world by foot. Um, so I am psyched for this episode. I hope you are too. I really, 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 um, encourage you to go on, watch Racing Namibia, um, watch some of his other films, the Tour de Jean one. He did one about Gary Robbins. Um, go check those out. Uh, he's an incredible dude and I'm honored to talk with him. So, uh, let's give it up for this week's episode with Jeff Peltier. I am I am honestly super honored to be joined by Jeff Peltier uh, to the show. Jeff has like you have an amazing array of all sorts of different films about ultra running uh, and adventures uh, that you can find on YouTube. I was recently watching the Racing Namibia, um, which was I mean it's so well done. It's we're only halfway through it, so no spoiler alerts for me. 
Um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And yeah, dude. And I think I emailed you and I said, I love stage races and I just want to hear all about not only that experience, but just like everything you've been involved with. So, so yeah, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Well, I have to, okay. So I have to start with this. So I watched, uh, I think it was episode five of racing yeah. Namibia and the race director starts by like having this really serious, scary discussion to all the racers where she says, don't touch any plants. She's like, if you want to drink water out of a plant, don't, don't even touch them. And I was like, what is that about? So what, what's that about? Yeah. I can't remember what the plant was called, but that was the first day we were going to see um, this poisonous plant of the Namib desert. And, yeah. and I guess it can, you know, it can irritate you if you, if you touch it, but if you drink the liquid inside, you're like, it's like instant death. So she was just, she was just like, just, just don't go near them. If you're taking a leak in a bush, just like try to give it some room. Like instead of trying to tell us which plants are which she's like, just, just don't touch any plants today. Just, yeah. <laughs> just she's like, just on the safe side. Yeah. Avoid all plants. I, that's what I love, man. I mean, I guess we can get into, I do want to get into, you've ran all over the world and I want to hear about your reaction to like different environments, but that's one thing I just respect about the desert is that the plants are, there's no other way to describe it, but they're like badass plants. You don't want to mess with the plants in the desert. You know, there's a type of tree that we saw. And again, I can't remember what it was called, but these are like these trees are like thousands of years old. Like they've, they, they, they get like, you know, rain once a year and they, they're like camels. They just soak it up. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah. It's amazing to see how things can survive in such extreme climates and environments. Right. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of wildlife in the Namib desert. Fortunately, we didn't have to worry about predators like you would up North in Namibia. Um, but uh, yeah, there was definitely some wild um, um, just terrain and, really cool rock features and then some really interesting plants. So yeah, the desert is a, it's a whole other world. It's something I'm not, I've run in the desert before, but uh, it's very different than mountains. I love mountains, but deserts are beautiful in their own way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked like, I mean, it got ridiculously hot for you guys, like 47 degrees Celsius, which I had to look up because I'm, you know, in Colorado. So I was like, Whoa, that's like 116 Fahrenheit. That is bonkers. Yeah. What was that like, man? So there's a, there's sort of, um, there's a trick to stage racing. Um, you know, the main difference, like stage races are essentially where you, you stop running, you know, when you reach the next checkpoint, they reach the next camp, the clock stops yeah. and you get to sleep and then you rest, you recover, get up and do it all again the next day. So it's very different than a hundred miler or a 200 mile race. Um, like a couple of them that I've done where yeah. you're running for multiple days. And if you stop and sleep, the clock is still running. So the trick in a staged race really is to run as fast as you can reasonably and then rest and recover for as long as possible. So there's a definite advantage to those of us who are relatively fast runners compared to those who are at the back of the pack because they're, they're out on course for so much longer, which means they're getting a lot less rest at the end, but they're also in the heat for a lot longer. Yeah. So to be honest, I never faced heat quite in the 40. We were probably out there when it was maybe 37, 38, 39 yeah. degrees Celsius, which is still blazing hot, but it got up to, like you said, about 47 degrees Celsius in the sun later in the afternoon when some of the more back of the pack runners were in. So they would come in late, you know, 
say around dinner time and just be destroyed. Yeah. And, um, you know, by that time I'd already had a meal and a two hour nap. So <laughs> there's a definite benefit to, you know, it's sort of a compounding benefit to being a little bit faster. So I didn't have to face quite that extreme of heat, yeah. but it's hot. I mean, that's the number one thing. And there's no way you're running in an environment like this without the support that you get in terms of the you know water primarily uh, from, from the race organization. Yeah. That's what I love about it, man. It's like some of these races, you just could not do solo. Like you couldn't yeah. do racing or race the N Namibia race by yourself. Like this as an adventure run. No. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's no way because you're right. Like there's no water and there's no water yeah. sources. And apparently if you drink mm -hmm. out of a plant, you're going to instantly just collapse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a buddy, uh, Ray Zahab. Um, he, I actually mentioned him in the film in the first step. Uh, yeah, man. Episode. Ray's yeah, the best. He's, I've, I've interviewed he's a him on here. He's you so have, that's right. I, I, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, he's done some crazy shit. I guess maybe Ray could run through the desert. Well, no, even he can't without support because he yeah. has support when he does those desert runs. So Ray's a badass, but even he had to bail out on his last big run <laughs> in, um, in Death Valley this past yes. summer. Cause it was too hot. It was, it was over 50 degrees Celsius. And they had, a, I think they had stretches that were as long as 20 kilometers without aid because of where the cars can have access to. Yeah. And he said they were, they had gallons of water and they were running out and he said it was just not safe. So even with support, sometimes it's not enough support. So these racing the planet stage races are super well supported. You never, you're never alone for more than about an hour. There's vehicles kind of running the course where yeah. they can. Um, so, you know, checking on runners, making sure nobody's collapsed and is laying in a, you know, laying in a sand dune, um, and also providing, you know, emergency supplies if needed, but then there's also aid stations every 10 K. So you're well supported. And again, it allows you to run in these environments that you would never be able to otherwise, um, which is a little bit different than running in the mountains. I mean, the stuff we do here on the West coast in British Columbia, there's lots of water, you know, we can go out there for days on our own and, oh, and yeah. be fine. Yeah. So we don't, you know, so it's a little bit different. Um, uh, different types of challenges in a in desert environment for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I will just say, I've been hoping to interview Ray. I've talked with him about his experience in death Valley this last year, just on the phone. And it's, he's like, I think he said it was one of the hottest days in like recorded history. And I'm like, that is so crazy. So I'm hoping to interview he, him at some point. He was that. in the hottest place on the planet on one of the hottest <laughs> days, if not the hottest day on record. Yeah. So that's crazy. It um, is crazy, man. And, and yeah. what people don't might not realize, like if they haven't done this is like every second you're out in the sun, you're getting drained. So I think mm -hmm. when you're mentioning like going faster and how it's an advantage, that's that weird. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I like about stage races is the weird Am I pushing myself too hard or am mm -hmm. I not pushing myself hard enough? Cause either way it's going to like really take. Yeah. Like, without crossing the line. Exactly. Yeah. And you got to know where that line is. That's where experience comes from. I think as well, it's fitness, but it's also experience. It's like any ultra, right? We're pacing, you know, you, you're doing it by feel like you're not looking at your watch and yeah. at least not only looking at your watch. You're also, you know, it's, how do you feel? How, how did you, how did that turn out last time you did a race like this and felt that way? Right. So it's, it's kind of going with your gut sometimes. And, um, and like you said, yeah, you're riding that line, especially when it comes to heat. Um, I find, so I like deserts cause it's a dry heat and I like, yeah. I like that dry heat. You have to hydrate, um, but you sweat and your sweat evaporates. Um, you can shade yourself from the sun. You know, I wear like white arm sleeves. I wear, yeah. you know, a, a wide brim hat. I have a hard time with humidity. So especially coming from Vancouver here, it's not a very, you know, it's, it's a tempered environment. 
um, I raced in Quebec. Um, this summer I ran the Quebec mega trail hundred miler and the humidity just killed me because you're it's hot and it's humid and your sweat just, it doesn't evaporate. You don't don't cool down. So sweating just doesn't work. All right. So I find that a lot more difficult. So I think a race, like say the hurt 100 in Hawaii, I think that would be a lot more challenging than, um, than something similar in a, in a drier, hot environment. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. And then like covering yourself, like there's the idea of solar load, which is like, cause you see people, like if you've watched like anything about bad water or something, everyone's yeah. in all white. They're like yeah, yeah. long pants on. You're like, why does I have long pants on? And then you yeah. realize like, oh, you actually, when you're reflecting the sunlight, it's mm-hmm. keeping you cool. And if you have yeah. just like a patch of skin exposed, all of a sudden you're feeling it and you can feel the yeah. sun just smashing that yeah. skin versus the rest, which is pretty crazy. I also find in a staged race, it's all about, you know, so, so with these racing, the planet, racing, the planet events, um, it's a self-supported stage race, which means it's similar to, um, uh, marathon de Sable. Yeah. It's actually modeled after MBS. And that means that you're carrying all of your gear and food for the week, including sunscreen. So imagine how much more sunscreen you have to carry with exposed arms versus just wearing arm sleeves. That's less sunscreen I have to carry for the week. Um, And that stuff weighs a lot. So there's actually, for me, it's, it's partly strategy as well. That's sweet, man. Do you think so? uh, Having done a couple of desert races, um, I always remember I was like, I'm packing double sunglasses because I'm like, what's the one thing that would yeah. really suck to not have out here is sunglasses. I don't know. Did you think of that at all or not? I did. I did. And they recommend bringing a spare pair. I oh, do they do? <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. I didn't bring a spare. You're right. If your glasses break. Yeah. I would have been like, you know, duct taping them back together. Cause I, I did not have a spare. Um, you know, I really was kind of racing for the podium and, um, yeah. when you're doing that every gram counts and I was carrying additional camera gear as well. Uh, so I, you know, I had to kind of, I had to actually shave additional weight to make up for the fact that I was carrying, you know, an extra call it uh, half a pound or so uh, worth of camera gear. I want to ask you about that, but before we do like you, uh, one thing I really love about this, it's super cool because this series in particular is kind of combining some of the ideas that you've done in videos in the past. Um, I've watched, uh, your short film about Gary Robbins and mm-hmm. his like backyard hundred miler, which is crazy. The, the big chill, yeah. the big chill. Yeah. And then, um, and then, so it's, it's combining this idea of like, you're filming your race and your experience, which allows that like people to come in and watch that from your perspective. But then you have these segments where you're featuring some of the other racers. And I was just curious, like, is that part of this whole stage race idea where it's this bonding experience amongst the racers and you almost can't help, but be inspired by the people around you. Did you kind of feel that or were you planning on interviewing people like for this or, or what? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it there. I mean, there's, there's two things I did a little bit differently on this series. And the first is that it's a series. So most of my films are just that they're just a film, um, 30, maybe up to 60 minutes. And that's the story of my adventure traveling to the race, doing the race, finishing the race recovery after. Um, and what I wanted to do differently in this one was test out the idea of doing a series. It turned out to be nine parts. Um, and only six of those are actually the race. There's two before leading up to it. And there's, there's one after that, that all I'm actually still, still working on, but uh, hopefully I'll have it done in time. Um, <laughs> and, and part of that reason was because I wanted to give the viewer the same feeling you have during a stage race, which is that this is not a day. 
you know, this is you run like, like we were talking about, you run hard and then you stop and you recover and you, you eat, you hang out, you sleep, you reset. And then you start yeah. again the next day. I want the viewer to have a similar feeling where there's time to watch, go about their lives for a couple of days and then come back to my story and start on the next stage. Cause that's yeah. how I felt in doing it. And I feel like it wouldn't be the same, you know, of course, once these are all up there, you could sit and watch them all at once if you want, but I'd actually recommend not doing that because I want you to have that feeling of like, Oh yeah, I wonder how Jeff's going to do on the next day. Yeah. And that's again, how it feels in the moment. And then the other thing is exactly what you touched on, which is it, these races, they are competitive, at least for those of us sort of near the front of the, the race, but I think they attract a certain kind of person. And it's definitely a different cross section of people than most trail races um, a lot of the people who do stage races only do stage races or only have done stage races. It's kind of their entry into trail running in a lot of cases. Um, unlike, you know, where you go to a, I don't know, you go to a race like UTMB and everybody's talking about other races like UTMB. Yeah. Um, but with stage racing, it's a different kind of person that they're attracted to it often for a different reason. They have maybe different challenges they've faced in their lives um, than, than your more competitive, again, like UTMB right, racer, right? Um, so they've arrived at it from a different place. And then you spend so much time getting to know them because you're done running halfway through the day and you yeah. just sit around at camp and you debrief, you, yeah. you know, you share war stories, you, yeah. you talk, you get to know each other, you have dinner together, you know, you lie there and in, in the shade together, you're sharing a tent. So you really get to know people uh, over the course of seven days. And, um, you know, you've had a, a day or two even before the race to get to know people. So even coming into it, you you've already forged some friendships. Um, and a lot of the people see each other, because as I mentioned, some people do more than one of these in a year, more than one year. You know, some people have done half a dozen of these things and they see the same people at each race. So they're, yeah. they're building on those relationships over time. I knew that would be the case. So I definitely planned on doing interviews. Um, and it just, you know, um, it, it helped me get to know people even better, but a lot of those stories were stories I had already learned. And it was like, cool, let's put that on camera. That yeah. thing you and I talked about a few days ago, I, yeah. I want to hear more. I want my, my viewers to hear more about it as well. That's awesome, man. I, I think just kind of what you're, where you're talking about that. I mean, to me, that was the biggest thing I took away from the whole stage race idea is, you know, beyond like, we're all trail runners. Like we like exploring and seeing new parts of the world in this way and challenging ourselves, but it's the communal feeling where you're just joking mm -hmm. around. And I was surprised when I did, uh, my, the stage race I did the very first time is it was way less suffering and way more fun. Like it was like summer yeah. camp almost. And exactly. And yeah. I love that. And I love this idea, especially the race you did because they're a culture, like people from all different parts of the world, different cultures, um, mm -hmm. and everyone's coming together to do this thing. Can you kind of like talk about, like my friend Paul says, he's like, if everyone in the world could just do a stage race yeah. together, like with uh, people from other parts of the world, like this would be a lot nicer place to live in. <laughs> yeah. And you get the feeling, I mean, it's, it's, I, I feel this way about trail running more generally as well, but uh, you get this feeling like we're, we're all so different coming from different places, literally different countries around the world. And yet right away you feel this bond, right? There's something unique. There's something common that brought you together. Um, and whether that's like a cause or effect, I don't know. I don't know if it's the running changes you, or if you, you're attracted to the running, 
uh, or the adventure um, because of that common, that thing, whatever that is, it's, you know, seeking adventure, it's trying to get out of your comfort zone. Um, it, it's, it, there's, but there's, again, I think there's something unique about stage racing as well, um, where it is, it's like going away to adult summer camp and playing in the dirt and, you know, yeah. um, sleeping, sleeping on the ground. I mean, this is something not a lot of people do very often. I mean, I do a lot of fast packing. I had all the gear. It wasn't exactly foreign for me, but for some people that's all new. And so it's a great experience. Again, a great way to get out of your comfort zone with other people who are there for the exact same reason, right. Yeah. To get out of their comfort zone for a week and just completely disconnect, you know, yeah. leave the cell phone at home. I mean, you're, you're out there, whatever's happening at work, like you're, it doesn't matter. Like you you're disconnected. You, you can't, can't do anything do anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like unless there's a, you know, a death in the family or something like you're on, nobody's going to contact you. You're on your own. Um, so it's uh, that there's something special about that as well. You know, just yeah. being able to disconnect with a bunch of people who maybe weren't your friends originally, but quickly become your friends and just, yeah, play it, play in the dirt for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the end of the week, you get this weird feeling where you're like, you're going your separate ways and you're almost like, no, yeah. where, what, yeah. where are we going? <laughs> yeah. I've got plans to go, you know, visit friends I met in Saudi Arabia and Norway. I mean, and oh, yeah, so and you cool. just hope to, you hope to see people at the next one. Um, I think that's actually even more specifically, I know people express this a lot where they're, they're glad it's over, but they're sad it's over too, right? They're glad that the challenge is behind them and they, they survived, but yeah, it's kind of sad to have to go back to your normal life, right? Yeah, it is. It's that nice little break. Um, I want to hear So I looked up a little bit about you. So you started trail running in 2013, which I found really interesting because I also started trail running in 2013 and I have not okay. done some of the crazy, crazy stuff that you have done. You, you dove all, you dove head first into the trail running thing. Um, so can you kind of tell me a little bit about that journey? Like what brought you out to a, to the trails originally? Yeah. I mean, I started running when I was 27. I'm 40 now. So, um, I spent three seasons running, running road marathons. Yeah. And that was mostly just cause I, you know, I turned 27. I heard you, that was supposed to be your athletic peak. And I, I didn't feel like I was at the peak of much. So I actually had a buddy who was, he signed up to run a marathon and he's like, oh, I got Hal Higdon's how to run a marathon book. And, <laughs> and then I think he heard his back and he's like, do you want the book? And I was like, Hey, if you can do it, I can do it. Right. And that's, that's literally how I, how I signed up for my first marathon. Um, I did a few of those with mediocre results and I was training at this gym at this place. Um, it's, it's actually like a lab where they do VO2 max testing and stuff. And it was mostly triathletes, but there were a couple trail runners there. There was one guy in particular who was running on the treadmill all the time at like an 18% grade. And I was like, <laughs> what are you training for? He said, oh, I'm running, I'm training for an ultra marathon. I was like an ultra marathon. What the hell is that? Yeah. I had no, you know, like a lot of people, I had no idea you could go further. Um, he was training for a 50k, but he started telling me, telling me about these hundred mile races. And all of a sudden my world just expanded, right? I'm thinking like, okay, there's, there's more out there for me than, than trying to shave three minutes off my marathon PB. Right. And so he, he said, well, come out, like, come, come join, you know, we run on Saturdays, you know, meet up. And, and so I started trail, trail running with these guys. Um, I did a short race when I was in Hong Kong. My first trail race was one of the Hong Kong, um, uh, King of the Hill series, they call them. It was like a 15K race in, in the mountains behind the city. Kicked my butt. Um, but that that kind of got me hooked. And then I did a few local races here as well. Uh, part of the Five Peaks series, it's called. Um, but really, it was just, it was getting involved with the community. So it was meeting, it was meeting those first couple of guys and then meeting their friends. And we're super lucky in Vancouver to have a super, a really vibrant trail running community. 
And whenever I, I have people ask me like how to get into trail running, it's it's my answer is always the same. It's meet meet some people and go out and run with them. This is not something you do on your own, both because of safety, but also because it's like it's so much more fun to go run yeah. with friends and you learn so much, right? gear shoes nutrition all that silly stuff you have to learn like learn in those first couple of seasons like you learn it so much quicker um you find out about all the races people are doing and you get inspired to try to push yourself to do more so i mean that first season i started trail running um i signed up for a 50k i did another 50k i think i did a 50 miler that first season as well the next season i stepped up to 100k and then i think by my third season i was doing my first 100 miler um which is sort of the you know, that's kind of the big goal for a lot of us, right? You don't have to run a hundred miles, but uh, for me, that really felt like, like a big deal to run through the night. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is history. I've done, you know, a half dozen or so hundred milers since I've done two stage races, um, two over 200 mile races in the Alps. Um, and then a whole bunch of other sort of uh, self-supported um, adventures along the way as well. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So what, um, I, well, I guess I want to ask this. Do you have, so, you know, 2023 is coming up and in my mind, I am like, oh, that's 10 years of being a trail runner. Do yeah. I need to like somehow act, like challenge myself extra this, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm already yeah. thinking the gears are turning of like, what would I want to do like to celebrate that? You know, like I, yeah. have you even had that thought or, or what? Oh, totally, man. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am facing the challenge of like, oh, I feel like every year I need to step it up. And what does that mean? Like, is it further, faster? Like I'm getting yeah. older. I'm not getting faster necessarily. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely have thought about that. So this year is going to be a big year for me because I'm doing another stage race with racing the planet. I'm doing Georgia, the country of Georgia. Oh, nice. June. Yeah. It's I know someone incredible. who did that race, uh, last year when they, okay. Yeah. That was, that was the first year they did it. Yeah. It's, and it looks beautiful. Um, so I'll be telling a similar story in a series of videos there, but then my big goal for the year is UTMB in yeah. August, which is like the, you know, that's the super bowl of trail yeah. running. Um, and I love the Alps. Uh, my girlfriend, Audrey, is going to run with me as well. She loves the Alps. She loves running the mountains too. Um, and that's right up our alley as far as the kind of terrain that we get to train in here in Vancouver and the kind of terrain that we like to race in. So for me, that feels like a big bucket, bucket race item. It's 100 miles. I don't want to say only 100 miles, but it's, you know, it's not the longest race, but yeah. it's a competitive one. And so yeah. both of us really hope to, you know, to really just nail our training and then hopefully nail our, ex our execution as well. Um, and to do, to really try to do our best. I think both of us are in a place where we can, we can, you know, really kind of, uh, yeah, really perform to our, our, our best potential there. Yeah. Um, and then I still, one of my long-term goals is still to run the hard rock 100. Yeah. Um, I love Colorado. Um, we were talking about that, but you know, before we hit record here, right? Like Colorado is just such a beautiful air, uh, kind of region of, of mountains, you know, the San Juans, like, oh. um, one day I'd love to do the Nolan's 14. So kind of moving away from strictly supported hundred milers and getting more into that self-supported, uh, yeah. you know, challenge of doing something like a hundred miles of, you know, semi-supported, um, uh, adventure in, in the, in the San Juans. Um, so I, I think for next year, I'm, I might do that. I might step away a little bit from the racing. I, I'll, if I get into hard rock, great. But for 2023, as you said, I'll, I'll have been trail running for 10 years. I'll be turning uh, 42. I think I want to head to the Lake District in England and um, and and try to do um, uh, the Bob Graham Round. 
Yes, dude. So that Bob, sounds awesome. Bob, yeah. And he, I, if I, I think I have this right, that Bob Graham himself was 42 when he ran <laughs> the Bob Graham round. And, there you and go, the man. So I want to move there and spend a month of doing recon, get to know the community, support other people on their runs, and hopefully they can support me back and maybe run it on, or at least close to my birthday when I turn 42, uh, just like Bob Graham. So that's kind of, that's kind of the plan for 20, for 2023, but we'll see. Dude, that is a dangerous Google search, which is uh, you type in your birthday year, you know, like I'm turning 36 and you're like, what athletic accomplishments do people do at 36? And you're like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) I love that though, man. That is, that's super cool. um, Really unique. And I think like, you can probably speak to this too. Like when you're actually setting out to do these huge things, if it's meaningful, mm-hmm. like personally meaningful to you, yeah, it's yeah. going to make like such a big difference. Yeah, exactly. People always ask about, you know, what's your why? And I mean, for me, it, there's a number of reasons I do what I do that I, I, I choose the kind of adventures I, I choose. Um, and I think, like you say, if you can layer in, you know, if there's something for me, it, for me, a route or a race has to be inspiring not just because of the physical challenge. You know, I don't want to just go run laps around a parking lot. Like I, it has to be in a beautiful place, even better if it has some history, like again, hard rock, Western States. I mean, these races, they're they're, they're legacies, right? Um, If I'm doing an adventure, I want to be retracing an old trade route or, you know, something, something that has some history. So I can imagine what it would have been like to be there hundreds of years ago, maybe when the route was first established. Um, or again, yeah, tying something like a milestone, like a birthday to another, you know, related milestone to me, that's what really makes, it makes it that much more special. It also, it reminds you when you're in that moment of questioning, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And can I stop doing this? It it, it reminds you, well, no, I'm here for, I'm here for, you know, for a reason. And I need to, I need to keep pushing through the, through the, through the dips as well. Yeah. I I think I've, I can't remember if I actually brought this up on a podcast where I was just talking to a friend, but I, I, I've been exploring the idea of like, you show up to a race with a why, like with a reason that you're there. And sometimes that reason shifts like during the actual event or adventure. And I just am curious, like if, if you think that happens every race or if that only happens in special ones and is there a memorable moment where like maybe you discovered something by actually doing the event that was like unexpected my um uh what comes to mind is i I ran a race called the fat dog 120 miler which is up here in the in the northern cascades in uh, an area called manning park um, and it's sort of, it's, it's, it's referred to sometimes as the, the hard rock of Canada doesn't have the altitude, but it's, it's a big race again, 120 miles. So it's a little bit longer than a, your average hundred miler, lots of climbing, lots of elevation change. And, um, this would have been back. I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was 2015 and the, the race is typically it's in the summer. So it's usually quite warm. And it was always kind of known for, they have a pretty extensive mandatory gear list. Um, there's quite a bit of gear that you got to carry. You got to carry a hard shell, waterproof pants, you know, this and that. And people would sometimes kind of go, what is all this stuff for, right? Two space blankets. Why do you need two space blankets? (laughs) Two? (laughs) Come on. Like, well, the race started up pretty warm. And then all of a sudden that changed by the first evening. Um, We had hail, like massive hail, 
fog and then lightning and just like showers. And it was, it was crazy. Like it got really cold. And this, meanwhile, we're up at, you know, on a mountain peak and people were just dropping like flies from hypothermia. Um, and you know, and, and even, you know, what do you do when there's lightning? You're literally in the lightning. Like if you can see it all around you and you're in a cloud, that's, um, that's my biggest fear. <laughs> like, yeah, well, being in Colorado. Yeah. Especially yeah. right. Like, we don't get a lot of lightning, but that that's the one area in British Columbia where we do is in the cascades. And so, um, they almost canceled the race. They didn't, uh, but throughout that night, it got really challenging because it was super foggy and then the temperature really dropped. And so, you know, people were, people were wearing like both space blankets, one as a cape and one as a skirt. And I was like, oh, that's why you bring two. Right. And all of their layers, nobody ever complained again about yeah. the amount of mandatory gear. <laughs> and it's always been referred to as the year of the big storm. Yeah. Now, unfortunately what happened to me was sometime in the sort of just after maybe dinner time, I was running with a group of friends. We were kind of, we had, we had all found each other in the storm and sort of, we're trying to help each other push through this. And we got to an aid station and I was having some problems with my bladder. I remember I couldn't I think the aid station volunteer, they meant well, but they, they tried to force the, the lid back on and then they couldn't get it open. And so I'm trying to fix this with my frozen hands. I said, guys, go ahead. I'll, I'll try to catch up. And um, I fixed it. And then I was trying to catch up. I'm running and I'm messing with my gear and I missed a flag. I missed a turn hmm. from this road that led to the aid station back onto the trail. And I kept going. And I kept seeing these flags, but they were like pretty far apart. I'm like, that's weird. Like these flags are like a mile apart. Like they should be closer, but, they, but it, it, there are flags. And I'm thinking, what is going on? So I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And I'm a pretty stubborn person. And sometimes when I get lost in a course, I refuse to admit that I'm lost. <laughs> and, I, and I dig my heels in and I'm yeah. like, no, I'm going to prove that this is the right. Well, anyway, I went about, I, I kept going for maybe another four or five miles before I finally accepted that I'd gone the wrong way. And then turned around and had to run back. So, you know, ran at least another 10 miles or so. And I, and I saw a couple other runners on my way back, did the exact same thing. Yeah. Where I said, no, hey guys, turn around, turn around. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, it, and in fact, uh, a friend of mine did the same thing. It would turn out. And another friend did it the year before. So <laughs> um, I'll skip ahead and say that I did have a talk with the race directors and they changed <laughs> the color of the flags for the oh, next perfect. year. Because yeah. what it turns out, it turns out I was following the flags for the cars to come to the aid stations. Oh, what? That's, that's what had happened there. Yeah. So anyway, skip. What happened was I finally got back to the intersection. I'm like, oh, of course, I just missed the turn because I was screwing around with my gear. I was distracted. Yeah. So here I am an extra 10 miles on a 120 mile race. <laughs> I'm way behind. Now I'm like trying to pass people that I've, I, I've passed hours before. And that was my new, my new motivation. My motivation was redemption. I was like, I'm not going to let this ruin my race. In fact, now I've got time to make up. Yeah. So I was just hammering, like, I mean, as fast as you can run in that long of a race <laughs> and I was passing people. And that was, that was motivating me. Cause I was seeing people who were like, where do you come from? And we'd talk for a minute or two and then I keep going. And so all these people were freezing and I was actually quite warm. Cause I was pushing pretty hard. I had the yeah. energy to push. Um, and so I didn't finish in my time goal, but I did finish and I, I made up a lot of time and basically the last, you know, whatever it was like 80 miles, I was on a mission to redeem myself and make up as much time as possible. And it totally changed the, the, the dynamic of the race. Yeah. And it was kind of fun. Cause I'm thinking like, I'm going to finish this. And when I do, I'll have run 130 miles, not just 120. <laughs> so it'll be that much better of a story. And yeah. so that's like a prime example of sometimes even when a race goes bad, you can channel that and try to make that the thing you're trying to overcome. 
right? That's the problem you're now trying to solve. It's not just finishing the race. It's trying to actually overcome this new challenge that came up during the race itself. Yeah. And it's the reframing too, which is just good practice in life, you know, like, you know, we all make mistakes at certain points, but it's trying to turn those mistakes into something that you're not like just completely defeated by. Yeah. That's like stoicism 101, right? It's how you actually (laughs) deal with you yeah. that's how you deal with problems that that really matters yeah man yeah i uh i i want to hear a bit about how your filmmaking has been tied in with your trail running and how that's evolved too um and i'm curious like was filmmaking something you did before you discovered running or is this something that came along with it yeah, so I, I am a professional video producer by trade. Um, so I, I'm a documentarian and corporate video producer, um, and I've been doing that my entire life since yeah. high school. Um, so for me, learning the technical aspect of this kind of storytelling, you know, making making vlogs or films for YouTube, whatever you want to call it, that was not something I had to do. I did have to learn though a new approach to telling stories because I'm telling my own stories. I'm not telling strictly other people's stories. Um, and even just kind of what gear works and how to, you know, how yeah. to film when you're tired. I mean, that's, that's, those are all things that we, you know, you can take for granted. Um, but I didn't have to sort of learn the technical stuff and I already owned a lot of the gear, but I only really started doing, you know, I've been documenting little runs here and there over the years, but it was only kind of like a couple of years ago that I really started putting a lot of effort into it. Uh, the first film that I really made that had any success and that I, I really spent time on was when I ran Tour de Jean, my first 200 miler. Um, and I knew it would be a beautiful, beautiful landscapes. And so um, that was, you know, it filmed itself in a way. Yeah. But I mean, I was, you know, I didn't sleep for like five days. So it was that <laughs> challenge. Of, and, but I realized like, that's maybe something where I, I can actually do that. I can actually film and, and make choices on, you know, what shots I'm getting to build the scene and tell a story. I can do that kind of on autopilot. Yeah. And I realized that maybe that's sort of something that I can, that I have a unique strength in um, when I'm so tired. I, you know, it's like, I can, you know, I'm, I'm barely, I can barely keep my eyes open, but I'm still cognizant enough to go, oh yeah, I need an establishing shot here. I want to quickly get a wide (laughs) shot or, you know, those things just come naturally. Um, And then I did another one at my next 200 miler at Swiss Peaks 360. And then pretty much around that point is when I started seeing my YouTube channel kind of start to grow and where I thought, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, there's an audience for this, like this stuff's resonated. And so it was actually in 2021 that I really doubled down and started producing content at a much uh, faster pace. Um, and continue to do so. And uh, I mean, I I now choose my races and adventures partly on how good of a story they'll be. Um, But I kind of see that as being like, like for me, it's like, if a course is beautiful enough to make a film about, it's probably beautiful enough to run in the first place. Like that's a good way to choose a course. And if it has a story enough, if there's background enough, it just happens that the things that make for a good documentary are the things that make for a good experience to begin with. So, you know, meeting people, meeting interesting people along the way, who doesn't want to do that? And it also makes for a better documentary, you know, having a backstory again, you know, I love running races that have a story to them or, or, or a place that has a unique, unique story or history. Um, And that's kind of the way I approach things now is I try to tell stories um, increasingly. It's not just about the race. It's about the reason for being there, the history of the people and, and tell a more kind of well-rounded story. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. I think it's funny that 
And I wonder if it's almost like a nice relief from the pain of running. A, yeah, like a it's a good distraction. <laughs> it's a good distraction for sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. when you're in, you know, Tour de Jeans, you're like thinking about establishing shots and not how your mm -hmm. feet are like falling off your body or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene in Tour de Jean where we, uh, we got caught in this massive storm, um, on the summit in the middle of the night. And it was like, it was really bad. Like we got to this emergency aid station. They had a huge fire pit that they, that they had lit and there was lightning everywhere all around us, except for the one peak we were on. And they were, the guys were like, you probably should decide if you're going to hunker down here or, yeah. or you should get the hell out of here. Cause like, you might get stuck here and we're like, okay, let's get, let's go. Let's get the hell out of here. So we just, there were four of us who grouped together and we just hammered for like an hour and a half, like 1500 meters off this mountain to try to get down uh, before we got stuck in the lightning storm. Um, and then we got down there, we were just destroyed. So everybody stopped and had like an hour nap and ate. And I remember, and I, and I filmed that scene and I remember feeling so horrible and filming myself feeling horrible. And that was a real, like, you can see it in my face. And like, I hadn't slept in like three days. And, but I still, I remember in the moment, I still had the presence of mind to like get little insert shots and thinking like, oh, I want to get a shot of that guy's feet. Oh, uh, oh I better get a shot of him over there. And I'm running around doing this filming people who are feeling equally as bad as me. And then the second I kind of set the camera down, I was like, Oh, oh it, I remembered how bad I felt like it. <laughs> so it, it definitely, it helps me step out of my, my body temporarily. Yeah. Um, people ask all the time though, if it slows me down, I'm, I'm sure I lose some time. I'm sure I lose yeah. some time in, to filming, um, in a, in a 200 mile race. I think that time is relatively small. Like maybe it's a half hour I wasted, but that's over the course of an hour, hundred hours. Um, hundred miler again, it's, you know, um, where it gets tough, I think is doing a, sh is filming a shorter race, like a 50 K or shorter. I think that would be a challenge where you really do need to be focused. Yeah. And I think I pro that's probably where at the Namibia race, I might have thrown away a bit of time in, you know, it's sometimes literally running circles around other runners, like getting coverage of them, filming, yeah. running backwards, uh -huh. you know, running out way out to, over to the side to flank them for a nice <laughs> shot from the side. And, yeah. you know, I was probably wasting some energy there, <laughs> um, carrying some extra camera gear. Um, but I think that sacrifice is worth it. I think yeah. it's worth it to, you know, to be able to bring those stories to life. And if I finish, you know, if I finish a race and I don't know, third, third instead of second or fourth instead of third, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a good trade-off. Or like, 20 minutes like behind where you would have been it's an yeah. ultra like that's the beauty of like you just yeah. said if you're doing a shorter race it might actually affect the race but and maybe maybe it's helping me for all i know maybe i'd be going out too hard if it wasn't for filming maybe that's giving me the you know forcing me to pace myself a bit who knows <laughs> maybe man what um yeah. i think uh aspect of it and i'm curious to hear your thoughts is you know, you have these breakthroughs in your brain during one of these events, like you're, you're having these emotional or mental breakthroughs, but you're so exhausted. So if you're not recording it, it might be a lesson you learn for like a second, or, you know, mm. you, you, you really are dwelling on that lesson for 20 minutes, but you mm. never recorded yourself saying it. Um, and then it just disappears. But now you yeah. have all of these memories you could go back to and be like, that is where I learned blank 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 you know mm -hmm. yeah i i actually find i mean to flip that around the hardest part there's definitely an opportunity to be able to maybe capture some of those eureka moments but yeah i i wonder how first of all i, I don't know how profound they're going to feel or sound afterwards you know i, I wonder that's true that it's, it's kind of like when you're you know like <laughs> you um 
I'm not that I've ever done any hallucinogenics, but like, you know, let's say you were like, you know, you're partying and you have some kind of like, you know, Hey man, like we just discovered hey, the secret to life. And then the yeah. next morning you're like, what were, what or were you, you saying? Yeah. Or you wake you know? up in the middle of the night and scribble down. Like I've done yeah. this. I'm like, Oh my God, I had a dream. This would have been the best story of all time. And I, yeah, 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 and, yeah. I wake and you're up like, what like, was that chicken scratch even mean? Like, dog riding motorcycle. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I think that the biggest challenge is actually to film the hard times. So there's times where, you know, and that's, that's the part I still haven't figured out is how to film the moments where I, I actually do feel like quitting. Cause at that point I'm, I'm thinking like, I feel like quitting. Yeah. Like I just feel like quitting. I'm not going to film this. I'm not even gonna make a film about this. Like, and I'm literally thinking about quitting, even filming. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's part and parcel. So, and then I, I push through it and then I think, oh, I should have filmed that. Or there's times where we're actually maybe in a slightly dangerous situation. Like again, like being chased off by lightning. I don't usually film that. And then after I'm like, damn, I should have at least hit record and left the camera in my pocket for audio. All right. But there's, there's sometimes there's moments where you just, yeah, it's, it's, and, and I think that's where having somebody else film you, you know, we see these films, my films tend to be more on a positive note. So it tends to be more me talking about how good an experience is. And people do comment on that all the time. How I, I'm, I'm a very positive person, but I have my low moments too. Whereas I think a lot of the films you see elsewhere are other people filming other runners and they get to capture those low moments in ways that I, I might miss. And that's something I have to figure out because I, I do want to bring in, sometimes I don't feel like it's, the, it's necessarily the most honest representation of, of what it's really like to run. Um, well, and I don't always show those lowest moments. Yeah. It has to be a weird thing because you're filming, like when you're filming yourself, you don't want to be yeah. like, I feel like crap. I, my feet hurt. I just want to cry. Yeah. Like, you don't want to say that out loud because you are a secret, like you're trying to trick your brain into you're trying like, no, to talk man. yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it's yeah. like when I see yeah. uh, my wife at an aid station and she's like, you look yeah. really happy. I'm like, I felt like shit. You could have seen it behind my eyes yeah. if you little yeah, would have yeah. looked. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of makes it real if you verbalize it. Hey, especially if you're yeah. like, oh, I feel like I might have something like a little strain. And like once you say it, it makes it real. And then also yeah. like, I just, I don't want to be complaining all the time. Like, I feel like I might, I don't want to be whining Yeah. and yet maybe I should whine more. I don't know. <laughs> I'm feeling that way sometimes for sure. Like I, sometimes I want to, I want to whine. Um, there, there's moments as well that I choose not to film. Um, yeah. there, there have been a few, I've had a couple moments where, um, it, there's, uh, uh, there was, there was a moment at Swiss peaks 360 that was like that, where I remember thinking like, I should pull up the camera right now, but if I do, it's going to ruin it. It's going to ruin the moment. Yeah. And so it's, um, yeah, yeah. It's like that film. Um, oh, I forget the, uh, um, if it comes back to me, but, uh, um, you know, where there's this guy like shooting, um, Sean Penn, it's Sean Penn's playing a character where he's like a wildlife photographer and he yeah, catches yeah. secret right? life of Walter Mitty. That's the one. That's the one. I love that movie, dude. And, up and the there mountains. are parts that don't there. Like I rewatched it. I, I show yeah. it to my kids all the time. I dude, I love movies where someone's unhappy and then they find their yeah. smile. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a scene though, where he's up in the mountains and he catches a glimpse of the, the, um, what was it? The snow leopard or whatever. Yeah. The snow leopard. And then, but he doesn't take the photo. Right. And he's like, this one's just for me. And it's, it's sometimes there's that feeling where I'm like, you know what? No, this, this one's just for me. Like, I'm not yeah. going to pull up the camera and try to try to capture this. Just stay in the moment. Yeah, man. Well, I know. And that's probably the weird, like dynamic of 
experiencing it and then also capturing the experience. And I'm sure you've had yeah. that multiple times, you know, being a professional filmmaker, like throughout your yeah. career. Yeah. The hardest part is when you're engaging with the person and then you pull the camera out and it changes now, am I filming them or are we still having a conversation? Right. Yeah. And what was nice about the Namib race I found is that people got really comfortable with me having a camera on them really fast. Um, at the beginning, um, Sam, the race director announced, you know, that I'd be filming and she explained, I'm running like all the other runners, but I'll be filming and something I didn't mention earlier. So I, I had a lot of professional camera gear that I brought, like a larger camera, audio equipment, wireless mics, a drone, and they carried all that stuff for me. Okay. So they would I was, give, they would yeah, give, I was yeah. curious about that. Cause that was like 30 pounds of gear. I mean, there's no way. Right. So they, they handed me my camera bag at the end of the day. And when I stopped running, I would film and then I'd give it all back to them. And then I carried everything else. Of course, all my mandatory gear, plus a couple of action cameras and spare batteries. So I did have a little bit of extra gear, but not everything. Um, there's just no way. Otherwise I, I would have left all that stuff at home and I would have tried to film it all with a GoPro, but it, it wouldn't have been nearly as good quality. Yeah. So she explained all this to everybody and said, you know, and so he's going to be filming. So if, if you don't want to be in the video, let him know and he can exclude you. Um, and the first day was a little bit awkward. I think people weren't quite sure. Like people were asking me like, so wait, are you racing or are you what? And I was kind of saying, no, no, I'm just here to tell my story and hopefully some of yours as well. And by like the second or third day, people kind of forgot the camera was there. So, you know, I, I noticed we could be talking and I could pull up the camera and start filming our conversation and they wouldn't bat an eye. Like it wouldn't that's change awesome. anything. Yeah. That's, that's, that's another challenge. It's, um, you know, cause something can happen and I'll sometimes say, can you repeat that again, but for camera and it's never the same. Right. And, <laughs> but at the same time, I never want to walk up to somebody with a camera rolling unless oh. they know in advance yeah. why I'm doing it and who I am. Yeah. So that's, a, that's another challenge is it's capturing, um, capturing those dynamics it's a little bit easier though when it comes to filming nature i mean that's that's a whole other thing which yeah you know that's that's first and foremost that's why that's why i run trails it's it's for the it's for it's it's not for the people it's usually to get away from people it's for the nature but the second part is the people you get to run with that's, yeah. that can be special as well well and you're telling their like positive like you know you're it's yeah. not like you're going in as like trying to capture them at their worst moments no and, like you have a positive intention behind what you're doing and I'm yeah. sure that comes across, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know that's just it. I mean, I, I don't want to, there's enough, there are enough films out there about how hard running is and how <laughs> miserable people can be. I want to show the other side. I want to show those transcendent moments. And, you know, sometimes it's about having the right music and the right pacing yeah. and the editing where there are those moments where everything's just feeling good. And like, you're on a bit of a runner's high and yeah. like, I want to show what that feels like as much as the blisters and the suffering and the you know, yeah, exhaustion. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, um, I do kind of to wrap up here. Um, I've been asking like random people this and I, cause I keep forgetting to ask this question, but I have, uh, right here. I don't know. Have, do you read any of the semi-rad or do you follow semi-rad yep. stuff? Yeah. So I have the semi-rad periodic table of adventure you know, and he wrote this. It's incredible. I think people should totally look it up and check it out because I'm a science teacher. Respect yeah. the periodic table. Um, yeah. but also, he just put he put a lot of thought in here. Um, I was just wondering if you had your own periodic table of adventure, what would be like an element that has to be on there? And it could be like a physical thing or like, you know, uh, a mental thing or, or what. But what would you what would you add to our periodic table of adventure? Um, I, I think, I think culture, I think that's one thing, you know, again, like it's, you know, there's mountains, but I think 
there's mountains and there's deserts and, there, and there's mountains and deserts in the US, but you could go to Africa and run in mountains and deserts as well. And I think yeah. if you throw in an element of culture, it's a whole other level of experience that, that a lot of ultra runners don't, you know, a lot of people are pretty focused on North America. And I think there's, it's a big world out there and um, you can see a lot of it by foot um, a lot faster than most people. So. That's awesome, man. Well, Jeff, where can people kind of check out your stuff and find your, like I said, uh, the racing mm -hmm. Namibia is like the most recent things, but you have so much. And tomorrow morning on my Friday, on Fridays, I ride my exercise bike in the basement and just watch TV. Nice. So I'm totally watching, uh, yeah, we got ep episode six. Uh, I'm not sure when this is launching, but we're, you know, going in episode six and there's to be a few more, but, um, those are all going to be on available on YouTube. So my, my, my primary channel is YouTube. If you just Google my name, Jeff Peltier, um, you'll find my channel. Um, and I definitely say, check out the racing Namibia series, check out my couple of hundred, uh, 200 mile videos. If you're into that, um, Swiss peaks and Tour de Jean. Um, but I've got a bunch of stuff on there is about kind of fast packing as well. If you're, if you're into learning more about that, um, and some sort of tutorial type videos. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as well. So if you look me up, uh, Jay Peltier, um, on Instagram, but again, if you just do a search and I post lots of more kind of real time stuff on there, my, my films tend to take a few weeks uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to edit. So, uh, if you want it more, follow me along more in real time, Instagram's a good place for that. Dude, I love it, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it and I'm honored. Yeah, Chris, to, it was, it was a pleasure. Yeah, lots awesome. of fun. All righty, there you have it. Uh, that was our episode with Jeff. Oh, man, I really honestly hope I can get Jeff back on the podcast sometime in the future, uh, hear about his adventures. We kind of talked a little bit afterwards about you know some of the plans, um, some of the things that he kind of has his eye on and they are incredible. So I am super psyched. I'm so honored that I was able to share this episode, share some of his adventures. Um, and once again, like I encourage you guys, go check those out. I literally just watched one. Um, it's five in the morning right here uh, <laughs> as I'm recording this. Uh, and I interrupted my workout halfway through to, uh, I'm just in the basement, basement workout. And as I was doing <laughs> half of the basement workout, I was watching uh, Racing Namibia episode seven. Um, and it was fantastic. Like it's super inspiring to me, uh, especially in February. I, was, I think I was telling Jeff, um, I get so antsy. I get such travel envy uh, right about this time of year. And, you know, I live in a really beautiful part of the country and which I love. But I think when we get into the doldrums of, February it's just really dark like when I run I've, I think I've ran for the past like two or three months maybe not three months that might be an exaggeration but I think I've ran the last two months uh 95 percent of my runs or 90 percent of my runs have been in complete darkness <laughs> um, as I'm going uh I'll leave my house um, go for a run, get back home and it's still dark. And you're like, what is that? What is happening? No, like you don't get to appreciate the beauty around you. And so I've just been daydreaming about summer at this point, uh, daydreaming about travel, daydreaming about summer, kind of like trying to get inspired to sign up for an event that is intimidating, an event that excites me. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent sure what that is yet. Uh, I have some ideas in mind, but I haven't quite uh, pulled the trigger on any of them at this point. So, um, but sitting here at five in the morning watching Jeff's films from Namibia 
and just watching the pure joy of stage racing. And I'll say it, and I, I just always say it, I know, and I'm sorry, but stage racing, it's just, it's very unique. It is a unique experience to go out there, really push your body, you know, um, alongside all of these incredible people. Like, it is an incredible person that signs up for a stage race. There's usually major reasons behind why they're there. And through the week of pushing yourself and sweating and, and bleeding and getting blisters and chafing and all of that, being covered in dirt after like the first 20 minutes, you're like, well, I guess I'm covered in dirt the rest of the week. Um, there's something that like brings you together, but also allows you to open up. So you hear about the other people's reasons for being out there and you talk about life and you really connect. And to see Jeff's series where he's doing something so international, where um, I think as I watched, I'm trying to remember, there are people from all sorts of the world, parts of the world. And, you know, to have those experiences where you're from completely different backgrounds, but you are going through the same experience together. Um, it's just a, like a uniting thing and it's super cool. And I'm so inspired by it uh, when I think about what trail running, what ultra running, what adventuring really or going out and exploring or just putting yourself out there has brought to my life. Like that, honestly, at the end of the day, like out of everything, like the chance to really be way out there, way away from everybody, but being in this small group, this small like community that's just like making their way through the wilderness or the desert. Like that's so cool, dude. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> anyways, so yeah, uh, hope y'all have a good week. We will be back at you with episode number 290 next week.